On this episode of Deal and Extend, we discuss going to school with Linux. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 55 of Deal and Extend. Deal and Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community like the DLN discourse forums, Telegram group, Discord server, and more. We also snag topics from around the network and give you our takes. Some of our favorite episodes are the one where it's community feedback. And that is why we decided to do a live community feedback show. That's right. On May 19th, you can join us live for a community feedback episode. Make sure you check the link in the description to find out what time and how. With me today are my two wonderful co-hosts, Nate, the network's foremost OpenSUSE advocate, and Matt, the network's game and odd hardware expert. Welcome, guys. Well, hello. Hey, one day. So what have you been up to this week, Matt? I continue getting, well, new to me anyway, hardware. So I recently had my old monitor, which was just a generic 22-inch, 16 by 9, 1080p monitor. It decided to finally die. So I have been in the neighborhood for a new monitor for a while because of that. I ended up picking up a new one, 24-inch, 16 by 10, 1920 by 1200 monitor. I am a a vertical space kind of person. That extra couple hundred pixels actually does matter. <laughs> it's just better for certain things that I do. That monitor I don't use for gaming. It's more for content creation. and Just more vertical space to have when doing things like editing on Audacity and all that kind of stuff when you have multiple tracks and not having to condense them down. <laughs> yes. Just makes that kind of stuff easier. I think I pay like $79 for it or something. Oh, wow. It wasn't uber expensive because I had looked at other new monitors that are 16 by 10s and I'm not paying those prices. Yeah. <laughs> On so many levels of no. I just remember why I like 16 by 10 over pretty much every other resolution. And I've had some weird hardware that has had some weird resolutions. For example, I have that Ultrabook that is a ultra wide monitor, which is a 21.9 on a laptop, which is a little weird. Kind of nice for watching movies, but not so nice for editing editing audio or video or any of that kind of stuff. It's great for like if you do side-by-side stuff, what uh, this right now where I have one window open with the show notes and another window next to it with the recording application we have. It's great for that kind of stuff, but actually like editing, no, <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> Nate, what's going on in your world right now? Well, what I'm up to, back to building my Commodore 64X or my retro computer that's in the Commodore 64 case, mini ITX. I got a new motherboard, a Gigabyte A520AC. I checked out the CPU compatibility and it looks like I'm good to go on that this time. It can also handle a maximum of 64 gigabytes of RAM as opposed to the 32 and the other one that apparently isn't working properly. I didn't eBay this motherboard. I actually bought it from Newegg. I should be better off this time, I swear. Wait. <laughs> oh no. A not open box or any of that stuff? New. New, yeah. Mm -hmm. I got a good deal on it. Where's Nate and what have you done with him? So I'm going to just go ahead and blame you on this one again, Matt. I don't have any like, reason to blame you, like nothing I can pin on you as the fault of why I did this, made this mistake, but I'm going to go ahead and blame you anyway. You're kind of the network enabler. Well, okay, you and Wendy are the network enabler, so I blame the two of you. But I heard a rumor that you're doing this podcast called GameSphere, and I want to make sure that I'm ready to rock and roll on some hardware that's fitting to me. That's why I did it. So if that's the case, you should be running on a real Commodore 64 then. I'm sure you're not going to be playing Commodore 64 games for GameSphere. That'll interest all of like 78 people. Hey, the 
8-Bit guy actually has a pretty good following, and it's all about older hardware, so maybe it would interest 200. Actually, I just bought a game from him, Petsky Robots. About every year I like to buy a Commodore 64 game, but that's beside the point. Anyway, so I'm working on that. I've got the parts I need, and I should hopefully get it built in the next week or so, as I have time. Wendy, what exciting things are going on in the world of desk building or camera shooting? As you know, yesterday I spent a good portion of the afternoon bugging you about your HP laser printer. Yes. I had walked into the local office depot to see what they had. I have a bunch of printer stuff that needs to get done, and I really was not looking forward to using the old Epson where the scanner is broken. And we were leaving because they pretty much had nothing on the shelves. Like there was nothing there, even remotely close to what I wanted. And we were on our way out and the one guy who works the checkout didn't have anything going on so he stepped out to talk to me hey did you find what you're looking for no you are completely out of printers and we got to talking about it just a little bit and I'd mentioned that I'd been looking at the cannons and as we were talking he also mentioned how awesome the HP printers are and how reliable they are after hearing what Mario has said about his and you talking about yours I figured ah well I'll send you a bunch more questions <laughs> See what you have to say now that you've been running yours for a while. My local Best Buy had two in stock of the same model that you have. It is the HP LaserJet Pro MFP M479FDW. Holy crap, that's a mouthful and they need to do a better job naming printers. Those letters mean something. Multifunction printer. I know what FDW is. W is wireless. FD, I have no idea. F would probably fax and I have no idea what the D is either. Uh, dumb color? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a color laser printer. There were two there. So there was this more expensive model and then there was one that was not quite as expensive. The biggest differences for me between the two of them was one, you had less paper that could go into it at the beginning. So that's a problem if we're printing math books or some of those other things that we do print that are large books that I then have a binder and we bind together and use them for the semester or the year. When I'm doing stuff like that, having all the paper to do that job in the printer is pretty gosh dang important. Oh, for sure. And then the other difference between the two was the ribbons that they took. The one that I bought has the larger ribbons. They are more expensive, of course, because they hold more of that printer powder inside of them. But at the same time, if I have one black cartridge that can print 2,100 pages, I think is what it can do on a cartridge, that is amazing in what that gets me through. Yeah, it really is. Even got the additional feeder tray for mine. I spent an extra couple hundred bucks on that too because having to deal with there's no paper in the printer when it's needed. Yeah. It's just kind of a burn for me. I have to say the tray one, which is the flip down from the front tray where you can like put in other stuff. I use that all the time because sometimes I'll print something off for the kids and be like, oops, or I'll have like some scrap stuff and I just want them to like do some coloring or some sort of math work. It's something that I found, some new exciting education thing. And so I can just basically recycle paper very easily without having to dork around with the trays too. Nice. It's actually a really great printer. I only have one issue with it. It happened with latest update, which I did tell you about, yep. was that sometimes the wireless will just go offline and it won't go back online. I contact HP support and they says, can you run this EXE? I'm like, well, I'm a Linux user. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm sending you to somebody else because I'm not qualified <laughs> to help you. But they do have a Linux support. I didn't have time yesterday to call. So care that today. And that was a firmware update on the printer itself, right? Correct. The firmware update made things less good. The other positive is because it's newer, it has a newer security standards for SMB or Samba networking. It 
it's super nice. I can just go walk up to the printer, throw in the pages I want to scan. I told you about I have a digital filing cabinet. Yeah. So I'll just walk up to it. I'll hit the scan to network folder and then I select the computer I want it to go to. You can set this all up very easily on the web interface. Yeah. Scan it and it's there on the computer. I rename it to my specific standard and I file it and I'm done. And it's really nice because then I can just like queue up a bunch of stuff, scan it through, and then I can sell on the computer a little bit later and file it. I love the printer. It's great. And I got to tell you, the color quality off that printer, it shocks me how nice it looks. I got stuck yesterday. I had printed out some product for the kids that I tutor about natural selection. This, this picture, I'm like, wow, that looks really good. It almost looks better than on the screen. And I just kind of kept looking at it for a little bit. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really, really, really nice printer. The only thing that I have an issue with right now is my kids for a while were like sticking their face in it and printing their face off like I did as a child. <laughs> So I can't totally blame them and be mad at them for that because I did it. But I'm like, so what I say is, hey, you're making my glass greasy with your face. Stop it. I did it too as a kid. You know, I got in trouble for it too. So I can't be too harsh on them. I haven't shown my kids that trick and I don't think I will at this very moment. Probably shouldn't. No, just keep that one under your hat for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Especially until I'm done with all the stuff I need to get done on it today. And I have to agree with you, the color on this thing, we haven't printed off anything very detailed color, but I've got the initial stuff set up. So it's now on a Wi-Fi network printer that anybody in the house can use. And I'd printed off the initial information sheet that you can do from the GUI on pretty much any Linux distribution. And I was really amazed of how that color circle came out. It was so crisp and so clean. And I told my daughter, I really want to print something else. I have nothing to print right now, but I just want to print something and test it out some more. I went through that exact same thing. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so she actually jumped on my computer and did a little graphic design thing inside GIMP and then printed it off. Not only is the text so crisp, but the graphic thing that she'd also printed off with it looked really, really nice. I'm quite surprised at how clean this is. Every time I'd looked at printers before, it was, well, if you want pictures, it's gotta be ink. And I know in the long term, ink especially paired with specific papers, actually holds up better color-wise. It holds its color depth. But for what we're doing right now, none of these are going to be pictures that are professionally printed to be on your wall for years and years. They're stuff we're doing for presentations or you know any of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So it doesn't need to last 100 years. It just needs to get us through the presentation next week. I think you'll be happy with it. I think at the end of the day, you're going to be very pleased with just how it runs. Hopefully you don't have the same issue I did. Maybe wait on that firmware update. Yeah, I haven't run any firmware updates because you said that that one was just a little bit glitchy, but it is yep. very nice to hear that they do have some internal Linux support for their printers, yep. which anymore these days, it's kind of shocking to not have Linux support. When I was in Best Buy, the one guy that was helping me as we were comparing the two different models and I was back and forth on whether I actually wanted to go ahead and spend the extra money on the 479, we were looking at some of the features on it and it said, oh, there was some Windows something compatibility. I'm like, ah, that doesn't matter because I run Linux and his face just lit up like, oh, really? You know what Linux is? Do you run Linux Linux or do you do a button <laughs> in, in Windows most time? And I'm like, no, all of my systems run Manjaro. And he was just so excited to meet another person that not only knows what Linux is, but actually run it. And I mentioned something about, yeah, the one guy I talked to, he 
got this printer and says it's running really well on Linux. I was looking at the Canons because they have some official Linux drivers. He's like, that is really good to know. Not that I've talked to anybody else here in Idaho that uses Linux, but that's great information for me when helping people with printers. So I met a fellow Linux user. In the wild. Yeah. When you meet him in the wild, it's almost kind of exciting. Yay. It is because we do exist out in the world, believe it or not. <laughs> it's like, look, a Linux user. It's a real life Linux user. Take a picture. Quick, quick. Where's your camera? I know. Most of them, sometimes you think you were like Bigfoot or something. We're just right. some mythological thing that's out there in the wild. Yeah. People actually use Linux? Yeah. Yeah, we're out there. We do. So yeah, he started talking about how it was so awesome and he wished more people knew about it and how easy it is to use on just a day-to-day basis and it gets done what you need to. He kept pointing to all the Windows machines along the wall and he's like, it's not so resource heavy like all of that. Over there. (laughs) What distribution was he running, if I may ask? He didn't say which distribution he was running, but he was just so thrilled. He moved here from California, and apparently wherever he was in California, probably close to Silicon Valley, people would come in all the time and talk about Linux, he said. But since he'd moved to Idaho, there hadn't been anybody who knew about it. So he was just so thrilled that there was somebody here in Idaho that knew what Linux was. And I know there's at least two of us because we can thank Christopher... That's not too far away from me, who also runs Linux. There are at least two Linux users. Time to start a users group out there in Idaho. If he wasn't so far away from me, then that would be absolutely awesome. That's funny. I guess including the sales guy from Best Buy, that would make three of us. Well, see, there you go. That's enough for a club right there. This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln and you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. Nate and I are constantly talking about how we use Linux every day and most specifically with the homeschooling that we do with our children. We thought it would be a really awesome opportunity to share some of the applications that we use, some of the applications that you may get enjoyment out of, whether you're learning something new or helping someone in your life learn something new. Nate, what is one of the applications that you just use every day that helps you with your kids? Every day, I would say, this is not education-specific application, but I would say VLC. I use VLC all the time. We do a lot of memory work via song, and so we use that. That's not really an education-specific one that I use. The one that I would say that I use, not every day, but close to every day, is G-Compress. It's like a multi-education application. It has like everything from letters to words to just different 
educational games. And it's really fun for especially my younger kids who like going through and doing the different games on there. You know, sometimes it's just like matching letters, you know, for the easy stuff. They have some typing on there as well. They have some basic analog circuitry activity, all kinds of different little educational just games. It's really good stuff, actually. My daughter likes using the mouse, which is unlike the other two kids. And she likes to do the different drawing games in there. I'm hoping then to actually push that into using Krita. I have a graphics tablet. I'm going to start having her use a little bit as well. The fun learning activities, like just the math is great. Everything is pretty wonderful, actually. Because I'm running on those netbooks, it doesn't take that much in resources. It runs perfectly fine. It's audio, video. They can hear the words as well or hear the letters and sounds. I think everyone should try it and see if their kids like it for younger kids. It's pretty impressive, really. It actually looks like there was a fairly new update to it, too. Yeah, it looks like it. It's in the OpenSUSE repositories. I'm sure it's in the Ubuntu repositories, Manjaro, Arch, or whatever. Been around a long time. About 2014 or so went from being the GTK toolkit to the Qt toolkit. And so it's also available in Windows as well, if you're using Windows. Maybe even Mac. I have no idea. At least Linux. No, Linux. That's important, Linux. Yes, Linux is the important one for all of us. And this is not just for English speaking. Nope. It now fully supports 27 different languages. I just looked at 21 activities too now. And I have not even used all 21 activities. There's more for me to even discover on it, and it does support macOS. Its 20-year anniversary was in November of 2020, so it will be legal drinking age this year. I've never used this one myself, but just looking at it, I don't understand why I haven't used it before. Got a ton of fun stuff on there. Not only computer discovery, reading, science, geography, games, and other kinds of things to learn. This will definitely be going on all of my computers. It's a nice balance with education and entertainment. It's edutainment. Stuff that is edutainment, but it doesn't feel like it. Celestia would be one of those. We've talked about it before. This is a really cool application where you get to explore outer space, look at the different constellations, see where you are in relationship to all of that. It's so much fun and you can do so many fun things with it. It doesn't even have to be for kids. It's amazing for adults as well. I think I enjoy it more than my kids do. You zoom in on Earth or whatever, and you rotate around it. So interactive. Yeah, it's very cool. As Nate gets lost, he's searching the solar system. I'm sorry. Well, you know, these things happen. With you, no, never Nate. That's why this show ends up being cut down quite a bit as we get off onto side topics as we're talking about other topics. And the downside is not all the time do they fit neatly within the show, so they all can't be included. Sometimes they can. We get off on some really interesting side topics and they all kind of flow together into one and we come back to the main topic. But unfortunately, they don't always connect (laughs) very well. Isn't that the truth? My daughter's gotten very into video games. Not only does she enjoy to play some of them, but she's become interested in how the graphics work and how to make your own game. And Matt, you were telling me about a game engine. While it's not open source, it is available on Linux. You want to tell us some more about that? Leadworks, Leadworks, I'm probably butchering the name, but you know, whatever. Learn to spell it, you'll be fine. This game engine is one that takes what Unity tries to do the unity game engine and actually makes it available on linux the one thing that it does different is it has steam integration so you can publish right to steam there's no royalty 
kind of sharing revenue deals, what you would normally get with a Unreal or a Unity-based game engine. It's all royalty-free. If you're getting all the modules, it's about $200. If you're just getting the base, it's about 50 And you can do an amazing amount of work with this. The reason I highlighted this one is because this is one that people within the industry use. I'm not saying people don't use Blender. I'm not saying people don't use Godat and all the other stuff. I'm just saying from a commercial grade point of view, this is one of those that it is a great tool to have because it is easy to learn. It doesn't have a high barrier in the cost aspect and it doesn't have a high barrier in the learning aspect and the learning curve like a lot of the other game engines tend to do where you have to, here's this very specific class you have to take in order to learn it. It has a lot of different genres that you can do. You can do FPSs, you can do adventure games. There's just so many different things that you can do with this. 3D, 2D, however you want to make your game. And it's just a really, really cool game engine that I don't think it's a lot of love. And it's native Linux support. Ooh. That part I really love. I wish that it wasn't necessarily in Steam itself. We have two Steam accounts. One is mine and my husband's and the other one belongs in the kids and I curate both of them. One of the reasons why we have two instead of one is we had some games on there, but if my husband was playing and one of the kids wanted to play, you can't play those games because somebody is already Mm -hmm. using that account. You can't actively share it between multiple people at the same time. That is the downfall of being tied to a particular service. Exactly. But overall, if you're starting some game development for 50 bucks, that's it for just your basic learn to build a game. Even if you go full the $200 on that side, either one of those is not bad. If you're buying DaVinci outright, that's 350 mm-hmm. for a year. It's the same thing. It's like if you buy Lightworks outright, it's like 400 something dollars for Lightworks. Yeah, and that's the one that you're locked into whichever main release that is. So you'll get updates, but when the next big release comes out, you don't get it. Another $400. Right. Don't get me wrong. I'm fine with that business model. You still own the application. That's fine. Limits, not so much, but whatever. That's a different story. Yeah. The reason I really like this app, I think it's the right way to go about having the Linux support not kind of this weird what unity and unreal do where it's like oh the community will kind of make it work <laughs> it's nice to see a company be like we're gonna actually officially support it we're actually gonna be real about it that's something i can totally get behind and i think a company like that should be supported more in the community regardless if it's open closed doesn't matter treat the linux ecosystem as a first class ecosystem with the other two i'll support you all day it looks like you need to be good with blender too while you're at it based on a lot of stuff that was built unless you can actually do that stuff within the application or the game builder. These 3D assets people are using are amazing. It's a lot Mm -hmm. of time per asset. I find that impressive. It really shows the devotion that game developers have when making these things. Sometimes we look at a game and we're like, oh my gosh, $30 for that or $60 for that. But when they've spent the last sometimes four or five years, there's a game that my daughter is very impatiently waiting on. It's going to be the new one from Joey Do Studios, The Dark Reveal. And she's constantly looking up to see, is there any more news on it and that kind of thing. And they've been open with the fact that, yeah, the release dates got pushed back. Some of that had to deal with 2020. But as they're building some of these assets and creating this world, problems come up. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time to create these graphics, especially when people are wanting these very detailed high-end graphics. That doesn't happen in a day. That doesn't happen in an hour. That takes time. It does. Software like this can not only show you from the person who 
plays games, the work that it goes into it, but really helps you appreciate all the time that goes into making those games that you love to play. Even if my daughter doesn't choose to be a game developer by profession, I love her playing with these things. She's also been playing with Blender, and I think that is an amazing program. She started taking a class on Skillshare where she can make the nice Bendy, the one before he's all evil and ugly and tries to kill you and stuff. And I love seeing those aspects and that exploration of that technology. You don't have to be going into it as a career. You don't have to be thinking your kids are going to go down that road, but just being exposed to those applications and learning just how much time and work it goes into doing some of those things really it helps you appreciate the stuff at the end of it and the exposure to all of those different aspects you can choose is this something I actually want to spend time doing for the rest of my life? You know, actually, when you think about it, art class in school, you may not become an artist necessarily, right? Having that experience in doing watercolor or oils or whatever, choose your medium. This is just another medium. It's another art tool. It's a combination of their language arts, of writing a story, turning that into something that you can share, combining with your art. And even if you don't do it for a profession, you throw something out there, you have a little fun, you learn a little something, you know, maybe you find yourself not doing game development, but maybe story development, you might get a job doing story development because you have the experience of doing something yourself. Now you have the confidence to write scripts or something. There's a lot of practical applications for doing game development in an educational sense. Because I know a bunch of people in the industry, in the gaming industry specifically, here's a little tip. They care more about whether or not you say you can do it or you can show you can do it. Right. If you've done mods, if you've made games, even projects you haven't shown, if you have a portfolio as opposed to the person from college, no offensive for those that are going to college for this stuff, if you can show as opposed to just say, the showing adds a lot more weight to your resume. Oh, for sure. Not only having it as your resume, but being part of open source projects is a great way to just get your foot in the door on some places. You don't have to know everything, but having a base understanding and saying, here, here's some of the stuff that I've done helps you get recognized in the field. Yeah, definitely. It really does kind of rolling back to the game industry and even looking at some of the open source stuff. There have been companies that have hired open source guys just because of the company that they are interviewing for. It's like, oh, we interviewed the creator of this tool that we use. (laughs) Well, it's happened in the game industry. Ironically, a company that was bought by Microsoft, Obsidian, they released uh, Fallout New Vegas, and they ended up hiring, I believe, one of the modders that made a bunch of mods for Fallout New Vegas to work on the game for like DLCs and stuff. Having that track record can help you in the long run. You have a body work to show. Taking the time to learn these engines and stuff or any of these applications, it helps you in the long run. My daughter doesn't really enjoy math. It's one of the subjects that for the most part, she just gets through. We have some stuff that shows the application of what you use this math for in the future. But one of the ones that come up in a humble bundle here not too long ago was a series of game related classes. And I really latched onto the one that was math for gamers. It was really cool to see how you take some of these math skills and bring them into game development. So you can take for an older kid or for maybe yourself, a project with an older kid. And the goal is we're going to make a game. You're bringing storytelling. You're bringing graphic design. You're bringing math. You could even bring history or all kinds of stuff into that. And it's an 
all-encompassing way of learning stuff and experimenting with some of these things that maybe we don't enjoy that are subjects in our life, but we can put them to use in a way that makes them make more sense. Yeah, I totally agree. Culmination of all the disciplines coming together, the math, the art, ability to communicate. It's such a neat thing, really. The barrier to entry for a lot of it now is a lot lower. We have things like the Raspberry Pi and the Raspberry Pi 400. You can do a lot of this stuff, teach computing and graphics. Don't expect the world out of these things, but that barrier to entry, I think, that used to be there for a lot of that stuff has kind of been democratized a lot more from the open source stuff, GoDad engines and your blenders and insert category of learning applications here because there's we're obviously not going to be able to get to all of them. There's just too many. <laughs> you can learn so much in a learning environment, school and that kind of structure as one day native shown with what they do with their kids or just as a person that wants to individually learn stuff. You don't need the high end. I need the newest thread ripper that AMD decides to put out the newest graphics card, which I don't know why you'd spend like $2,000 right now on a GPU, but hey, that's your prerogative if you want to do that. You can do a lot of stuff with something as low cost as a Raspberry Pi or a Raspberry Pi 400. That to me is amazing and it shows that we've come a long, long way from where you had the one computer, you know, the Apple II sitting in the classroom kind of deal. <laughs> Open source and Linux have, I think, helped push that. There is so much hardware that is far more accessible, especially within the last five years or so that makes learning easier. Like you said, the Raspberry Pis are an amazing learning resource, not only for kids, but for adults as well. I don't know how many times I've seen threads inside the community where I just got another Raspberry Pi. This is what I'm doing with it. There's so much experimenting and playing and testing that you can do on these little devices that give you so much power. Then we have places like Pine64 where they have phones so you can learn on that building a UI, building applications, and it's all within this open source community or the ARM book that they're putting out, which is all open source. These are places where you can grow your knowledge, you can explore a fascination and you're not having to put thousands of dollars to play with that thing. And if you decide that you don't like it, if you decide you want to move on, if the kid decides they want to move on, you can either A, resell it, repurpose it, any of those things, because it's not this massive monetary upfront cost. That's very true. As someone who may have purchased a Raspberry Pi or two recently, or three, or four, or six, <laughs> I got this Pi 400 kit to play with. Also, if my son to play with, because he's interested in things in the tech world, he's been kind of inspired and so forth. This something said for actual books. You know, I love PDFs, you know, they're very useful and whatnot, but to actually have a physical book that actually goes through another item we're going to talk about is Scratch and actually goes through step-by-step step of learning to use Scratch. It's very exciting because you know, these are all things that make it very accessible, as you were just saying a little bit ago, how much more accessible technology is now. Although I would say the Apple II series was pretty accessible. Maybe the color was kind of lousy. It was always the Commodore 64, right? A lot easier, I think, in many ways now, especially compared to like 10 years ago, it's really easy to get started with it, build up that confidence bit by bit in working with the technology. And, and it's loads of fun to play with too. We haven't gotten to any of the hardware stuff yet. We'll get there. Get a book that's about what, almost like three quarter inch thick of stuff that you can look through. The pages feel good. It goes through all the basics. I'm just really impressed by it. Came with the Raspberry Pi 400. It's a neat little machine, which is kind of a throwback to the 80s as far as Commodore 64, the Apple II series where I have everything all built into one keyboard-like device. And that actually just brings a smile to my face right there. I'm not shocked by that. <laughs> This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. 
Bitwarden is the passive manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Learning games are all over the place, and it looks like you have one that really helps you learn physics and is just all out there fun, Matt. This one came across because, well, it's on Humble Bundle right now. I didn't get it, but the thing I liked about this is this reminded me of the early days of Minecraft. It also mixes in like Little Big Planet. For those mm. that don't know what Little Big Planet is, basically gives you the game editor in the game, and you can make and do whatever you want. It's kind of like Super Mario Maker. It'd take your pick for games but this is with robots and cars and you can do so much different stuff with this just from what i've seen of people playing it and using it called main assembly definitely worth getting it's like 20 bucks normally if you have humble bundle it's like 12 you get a bunch of other games obviously with humble bundle monthly stuff but it is definitely worth looking at if you like to be creative and you want to express your creativity this is definitely a really cool looking game that i think like when your kids always like to destroy things as far as like in games so well here you go they can build their own stuff they want to destroy it saves my house when they can destroy stuff virtually (laughs) yes yes it does that's my recommendation it is click and play as far as enable proton click install click play nothing else to it no custom proton or any of that stuff and that's based off strictly the steam play ratings from proton db i don't do tinker reports when it comes to proton db stuff what i'm playing is too different totally different i'm playing yet another final fantasy game this one is actually the remake for final fantasy 7 on ps4 it's a action rpg now don't know how else to describe it it's not turn-based combat like the old playstation one There's turn-based combat elements of it. Really nice graphics. It's part of an episodic kind of way of doing the game, as opposed to just a, here's a full remake of the game or an up-res of the game. Overall, though, I've been enjoying it. Nate, what have you been doing, though? Well, I've been doing a lot of working with my hands as of late. I got to knock out a bunch of these projects in the next couple months, kind of make the rest of the year a little bit uh, smoother, you could say. So I've been using my power tools, my cordless DeWalt power tools, a lot. I'm actually amazed by the endurance of batteries on these power tools these days. Between the combination of the cell improvements and the and efficiencies in the motors with the brushless motors and so forth, these batteries quite literally last all day long of continual work on them. Depending on the tool, a, a reciprocating saw, it consumes more power than others. I and mean, of course, the drill and the impact, those will last multiple days on a charge. Yesterday, I was using my circular saw a lot. I'm building a, a small shed, essentially. And uh, the jigsaw, any of these like, specific cuts that I want to make sure the wood is fitted just right. Orbital sanders now, they're available in cordless form, which is so nice working away from building. Probably my favorite tool that I have right now is a framing nailer. So you can drive these three or three and a half inch nails 
into wood 700 some odd times on one battery charge. It's not even the biggest battery that DeWalt makes. It's so convenient to not have the hose, not have all these things that you can trip on. I'm kind of hazardous just in general. Not have these trip hazards or these things that I can get tangled around and just be able to do the work and not think about the batteries. I mean, like laptops today, you can go all day on a battery charge, you know, with some of them. You know, these you can go all day on a charge and you're just hogging on them all day long and, you know, swap batteries out and so forth. Obviously, they don't have to reboot a new battery on. I'm just absolutely amazed by the advancements in technology when building things today. It's so much easier and I haven't electrocuted myself once, which is a huge win. I'm quite happy about. Not that I've done that in the past recently. I may have shocked myself more than once because I was an idiot. It happens. That's a learning experience, right? Don't set that there. Don't plug that in there. It hurts. Don't cut that cable <laughs> with that saw. Nate, don't put your hand on the hot oven plate. Good call. Don't catch the coffee out of the coffee maker with cupped hands either. But it's a cup. Mm, yeah, that's not such a good idea. No, it's a little bit warm. It's been a little bit of a distraction away from technology a little bit, like computery stuff. But these are things that have to be done. I do enjoy a mixture of different activities. Sure, it's a little bit outside the cubicle, but it's still fun. Sometimes we do have life outside our little cubicles. Nate knows what outside is? I do. I've been spending a lot of it as of late. I'm only able to give myself a few hours in the evening right now to kind of be on the computers. I had some time in between to check email and such because I got things I got to do too. So I was thinking these DeWalt batteries, if I can drive 700 some odd nails into wood, how long could I run my laptop off of one of those batteries? It makes me think. That's an interesting proposition. Yeah. I've already started going down this bunny trail a little bit. I already burnt up one boost converter. Whoops. Yeah. That's another <laughs> side. It shouldn't have burnt up. I was doing everything right. Pretty sure. But yeah, I should be able to actually run my laptop off of a uh, DeWalt battery really for a long time. It might be a better choice, my life's workflow. Because I do reference stuff that I build, like I have plans and such on the computer, 3D models and whatever. You can't do 3D rotation on a piece of paper. You can print, you know, the different views. Sometimes it's nice to have the actual digital reference there. If I can run my laptop or whatever far away from any electrical outlets all day long, God, that sounds like a huge win to me too. But anyway, that's another side. We'll see what comes of that in the future. So Wendy, what's on the docket for you? This has been a really education heavy episode. I have a class coming up, the co-op that my daughter does on Tuesdays. They've asked me to teach one of the classes coming this next year. That's right. We're part of two co-ops. I will be doing classes at two co-ops twice a week. Sometimes I ask myself, why do you volunteer for these things? <laughs> Where's your time? But as part of that, it means I need to take a class this summer, and I'm doing a lot of prep work getting ready to take that class. I am going to be at my desk for three entire days. So class goes from, I think it's eight o'clock in the morning to five o'clock at night. And then there are different meetup sessions with mentors and that kind of thing afterwards. So not only am I going to be here all day, I'm kicking my family out for those three days nice. so it stays quiet and I can just focus on work. That means this new desk that I built is more important. It is going to be the place where I am living for three solid days in June. I've been working on some cable management my desk isn't fully set up. It's still just a little bit too soft to have everything directly sitting on top of it, which is a bummer. I told you if it wasn't ready by this week, I was going to be mad. And I am a little frustrated because it's not quite there yet, but we're getting there. Just the downside of doing it this time of year. Just the temperature is too low. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did want to put my tower on the desk and in moving things around and trying to decide how I can get the most out of this workspace, not just for the day-to-day, -day, but for this class, I've decided I like my tower on the floor. 
It's massive. It's a full-size tower. It has so much room in there that just to have it on top of the desk, you miss access to some of the ports that are on the top. And where it's on the floor underneath me, I have access to those ports again. My earbuds right now are just connected into the top of it. It's on the floor to my right. Everything's working really nicely that way. My desk won't go all the way to the floor because the tower's just a little bit too tall. Can't lower the desk completely. Well, my guess is when it comes to like the organization of the desk, that's probably going to be something that'll take a while for it to settle out. Just thinking as far as like, I'm still settling out my desk and it's been years. I have to say cable management can still be the biggest pain in the butt when it comes to setting up the desk. There were certain places I wanted things and I'm going to try and connect them. And I'm like, oh, that cord's too short. Oh, that cord's too short. That can't go there. That cord's too short. And cable management is always an adventure anyway. I don't know if it is for you. It's an adventure when you're building a system, just trying to make sure it looks good from the front and doesn't look like a hot mess from the back. And then when it comes to under desk cable management, that in and of itself is its own disaster of a mess. You get everything plugged in where it needs to go and then trying to bunch and put up cables and you're almost like unplugging everything so you can tighten all the cords. It is within itself a day or two activity. I totally believe it. For me, like when I start with my cable management, it's abysmal right now because I change some things around. I run it to get it going and then it's like, well, I'm going to change where it's routed. So I pull stuff out and I reroute it. I'm like, well, I don't like how it's routed now because now it's in the way of this. I totally understand. I actually have rails I tie a lot of things to so that it doesn't get in my way. But I've since cut those ties because I move stuff again. I'll get back to tying it up again. I'm fickle. I'm a little bit fickle. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for more information on how to connect to the social channels and all of our shows and creators at DestinationLinux.network. For more information on where you can find stuff about me, go to cubiclenate.com. Visit links to my regular written blatherings podcast and YouTube channel can be found there. And you can find my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You can find me on Mastodon at WendyDLN at Mastodon.online. Be sure to check out that DLN merch store and grab yourself some awesome DLN extent swag along with stuff from across the show on the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. 